0: You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Well, may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Well Psalm 2 deals with God's King. It is an enthronement psalm written by David. We find that in in Acts 4 when the believers are gathering together they attribute this psalm to David and it deals with the psalms of uh, the theme of kingship. So Psalms 1 and 2 together form a double introduction to the Psalter. Psalm 1 deals with God's law Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the council of the wicked, and so on. He delights in God's law. Psalm one about God's law. Psalm two about God's king, about the Messiah. And in in the book one of the psalms, these themes converge. It is God's king who obeys God's law. Those themes uh, go together. So the, these form a, a double introduction in the Psalter, and we know that because um, the, these these two psalms occur without the headings. So. Psalm 3, if you've got your Bibles there, you'll see Psalm 3, 4, 5 onwards. They have the, that, the headings, which are part of the original text. But Psalm 1 and 2 um, don't have those. And there's many links uh, between them uh, that are they, sort of enveloped or bracketed by this promise of blessing. Blessed is the man, starts Psalm 1. Blessed all those who take refuge in him, is Psalm uh, 2. And we tend to love Psalm 1 and rather ignore Psalm Two. Psalm 1 is we can take that as private devotion Psalm 2 is very very much public and it's public declaration of uh, the kingship and the reign of God's uh, Messiah and so it's a it's a song for the coronation of God's king and it's a, it's a very important psalm in the New Testament this is if you're ranking them this is the second most frequently cited or quoted psalm in the new testament in first place comes psalm 110 Uh, the lord said to my lord sit at at your right hand tell me your enemies a a footstool for your feet psalm 110 about the priest king the one who's on the throne Uh, that's in first place Um, and in second place comes psalm 2 second most alluded to psalm so you see it for instance at the the baptism of jesus when the voice from heaven comes this is my beloved son that's a combination of psalm 2 and also Isaiah 42. And elsewhere, as we as we go through it, we'll see many echoes and, and direct quotations, um, particularly of 2 verse 7, um, in the preaching of Paul and, and just in the preaching of the New Testament. And so um, the Psalm it, it's divided into these four sections, which um, come out in the in the song that we read on the psalm. You see, there's four four verses. There are these four sections of three verses each. And so 1 to 3 is is about the the rage against God and his king, the rulers of the earth. Then 4 to 6 is about the the laughter of God for the Messiah reigns, he is on the throne. And then um, 7 to 9 is about the enthroned king uh, who's retelling the Lord's decree, his rule over the nations. And then finally this call to wisdom that these nations Kings powers ought to bow down to uh, to the king to the one who is enthroned so there's this you see this sort of beginning and the end of the, the the psalm you have these these nations and kings and rulers then that you hear about at the beginning they then reappear at the end and so we're going to just work through um, those uh, sections uh, together and so section section one is this this theme of this opposition to the lord and the opposition to his anointed one to his king and there's this unholy alliance of thrones and kingdoms and powers united together against the lord why the nations rage? the people's plot in vain against the lord and his anointed there's this determined conspiracy and there's this voice given in verse three of the of the kings "Let, let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords. And the, the picture here is of a, a farm animal, an ox that is in in, uh, in, in bonds and it, it is throwing off the bonds to be free from the shackles of God. Very much sort of a, I suppose, a, a post-enlightenment thought, isn't it? Actually, we want to be free from the, the tyranny of God. Or you, you might think of the, I can't remember who it was, who, who said they long, longed to see the day when the last priest is strung up on the entrails of the last king and the sort of post-enlightenment thought that we just want to be free from uh, the reign of God. We might think of the, the sort of the French uh, Revolution and all, all that, that sort of themes there in, in modern culture. But here it is, uh, it's not new, it's ancient. We have it here back in Psalm 2. Um, and book one speaks of the, of, of the Psalter, speaks of the establishment of God's kingdom, his reign, In the midst of many enemies, David's kingdom is established. Uh, But as you read, if you remember, because we've been going through book one of the Psalms, you see all all the opposition that there is to God's reign on on every side. And we see that from Psalm three uh, onwards. But this psalm ultimately, um, of course, it's speaking, David is speaking by the Holy Spirit about the opposition which will gather against the Messiah, against. The Lord Jesus, he is writing and prophesying about that great opposition and and conspiring that will take place um, and took place when the Lord Jesus was uh, upon the earth. Jesus faced plots and opposition and conspiracy and schemes at the hands of Herod and, and Pilate and the rulers and leaders of his own people. And this is explicitly stated in those famous verses in, in the book of Acts, Acts 4. Uh, the believers famously quote these uh, verses from Psalm 2. Um, they're facing opposition from Caiaphas and the, and the temple authorities. They're facing opposition from the same people who conspired to have Jesus crucified. Um, and they're gathered together, the people of God are gathered together to, to pray, to pray for boldness. And they take these words upon their lips, Sovereign Lord, you made the earth and the, he- and the heavens and everything is in them. Uh, and they quote these verses and um, say, so, you know, Why do the nations raise the people's plot? And uh, for uh, Acts 4.27, they say, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Um to do what your hand and plan had predestined. So, this is explicitly in the New Testament, this psalm is related to that plot, that opposition to God's Messiah, which, which took place uh, at, the, at the crucifixion of Christ. So, there's this rage against God that we see in this first stanza, this first verse, this first section. But did you do notice that the point about it is this rage against God, this opposition, is, is futile ultimately why do nations rage and the people's plot in vain why do they plot a vain thing there's all this conspiracy but actually it's going to result in um in the very opposite of what they're wanting um, so um they they are gathered together this this great conspiracy they, they gather together but act 4 28 the herod and pontius pilate um along with the gentiles come together and verse 28 says they come together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. We see that even in the, the darkness of this opposition to Jesus, the sovereign Lord was working out his purpose and his plan. And so Psalm 2, it, it, we, we see that it prophesies this, this great opposition to Christ which culminates in the the bloody crucifixion of the Son of God but we see even in that 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 is actually fulfilling the purposes of the sovereign God that the Son of God might be uh, might be given over to, to die upon the cross and that these these plots ultimately were in vain and the opposition to Christ actually fulfilled god's plan and so that's why as we move into the the second section verses four to six we see how how does god respond to this opposition is he he frightened or we see uh, verse four it's surprising i think we find the the booming laughter of the almighty he who sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He speaks to them in His wrath and terrifies them in His fury, saying, As for me, I've set my King on Zion, my holy hill. The plots were all in vain because at the end of them, what was the result? The result was that His King, His Messiah, would be enthroned, installed as King, sitting victorious on the throne. So Mount Zion was one of the hills in Jerusalem. It was where David set up um, David set up camp and set up his, his kingdom. It was the place of God's reign and God's rule. Jerusalem became the, the place where the Davidic kings would reign from. It's the place of God's reign, and the place of the kingdom. But all of this speaks and foreshadows the enthronement of Christ at the right hand of god um, god laughs because he has set his king upon the throne his sovereign and in complete control over the opposition which ultimately is futile so the, the, the sort of the plots against god were, were ultimately infu- were ultimately futile and the rulers and the kings they plotted and they thought they might have a good chance It would be a little bit like if I was trying to play chess against a grandmaster. Say I was trying to play chess against someone like Magnus Castle. I might have my hopes up early on in the game, I might think that I could try a few clever moves that that I might fork him or, or, or pin his knight, that I might bring about checkmate, but you would know that every move i made on the chessboard would ultimately just be bringing about my own downfall because i'm playing against someone who is just at a higher level of being than myself at least when it comes to chess okay, so that is the that is what is going on the rulers of the earth they're plotting against the lord against his messiah but the lord is sovereign he's infinite he's outside time he he is at work in and through all these things we see that in the old testament scriptures don't we we see Pharaoh's rage against, um, against the Lord, but ultimately that ended with the, the ruin of Pharaoh's kingdom and the deliverance of his people. So we see that this is all um, in vain. But just think of the, the disciples who are living through it. Think of the scene, think of the cross. Think of just the, the blackness and the darkness. And Easter, Easter Saturday, and all their hopes are just ruined. And it seemed like the forces of darkness had triumphed and that evil had won and they just felt utterly crushed and in despair that was how they felt yet even in the midst of that darkness we know that the plans and purposes of the sovereign lord were working out were being worked out and so these these verses as we read about them and meditate them. they meant to build great confidence in the people of God. That even through the darkest of times, um, when believers are feeling crushed or being crushed or, or persecuted or trodden underfoot by the rulers of this age and the powers of this age or feeling that the, the powers of darkness and evil are pressing in and are, are look like they're winning. But above all of that, the sovereign Lord, is working out the purposes for his kingdom and his purposes and we need to hold on to this in the days in which we live in the 2020s as we motor through them and and whatever the 2030s will bring as we look around them as we we can worry about uh, the, the leaders and rulers of the nations and where things might be heading we need to trust in God's sovereign purpose and plan over all things and that his Messiah is on the throne and that he reigns and so we should be just drawing fresh courage and hope from uh, from these verses and so um come to come to this third section as the change of speaker we come to the decree of the lord and we find at the beginning of verse seven we're taken as it were into the throne room and the king is on the throne here and we hear of the mandate the command Given to the newly appointed king. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. These are words from the lips of the of the newly installed king. Um, the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. You are my son. This is these verses, this is about the, the king being enthroned, crowned, installed as the royal son of of God. So Israel was God's son, uh, Exodus 4, 23. Um, the king, Israel's king, uh, was referred to as the son of God. So the, David was promised to, to Samuel um, 7 that there would always be a king reigning upon his throne, on, on the throne of David. And, and as part of that promise to Samuel 7, uh, 14, I will be his father. And he will be my son. So this verse, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've forgotten you picks up uh, on that. This is the enthronement. Um, and so the today here refers to the day when the king is installed as king. This is the day when he fully enters into his office and his full authority. So this is not to do with uh, the trinity this is not to do with the son who is eternally begotten of the father we sometimes u- we use this word begotten in relation to uh, the eternal son of god god from god light from light eternally begotten of the father uh, this is not about that uh, this is about the installation of um, the, the king as the royal son and these words Um, actually look forward to uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you might think, well, Tim, that's a bit of a leap uh, or a claim. Why are you claiming that? Well, I'm claiming that because uh, that is what uh, the Apostle Paul said in his preaching. You find this in Acts 13.33. Paul is preaching about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he said that this verse, you're my son today, I've begotten you is a promise of the resurrection of the Messiah. We find something similar at the beginning of the book of Romans, when he says that Jesus is descended from David according to the flesh, um, but um, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So this is about the, the risen Messiah, the Lord jesus christ that is as he is established as uh, the son of god and this is just basic new testament teaching and so and those two verses so psalm 2 7 and um, 2 samuel 714 they're quoted together at the beginning of uh, hebrews which speaks of the son of god well what is the scope of of the rule and reign of God's Son. Well, verse 8, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm 72, 8 says, he shall have dominion from sea to sea and the river, from the river to the ends of the earth. These nations, kingdoms, peoples who oppose God's reign and God's rule well, actually Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ will have dominion and reign over all the earth and that's symbolized even seen in the coronation you see the orb and then the cross it speaks of christ's reign over the entire globe and the gospel goes out we read in the book of acts from judea jerusalem to judea samaria and to the ends of the earth from the river to the ends of the earth um christ reigns you might think well which river well it doesn't matter any river The river, Thames, the river Ganges, the river Nile, the Amazon. Whichever river you look at, Christ has his reign over, over the whole earth and his kingdom is to be preached throughout the ends of the earth. And, ver- and he, his reign is, is going to go forward and will not ultimately be, um, well, the, the opposition is not going to succeed. That's again in verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Any opposition to him is is just going to be ultimately broken and shattered apart, uh, like a potter's vessel. And you might sort of think of great these great humanistic atheistic regimes which have risen up and deliberately tried to crush the church. Think of the the, the Soviet Union and just how it sort of sh- ultimately shattered in into pieces. You think of any any regime which is going to rise up, but it'll rise and then ultimately it will fall. And so that. That brings great confidence to, to believers who are suffering around the world. Think of the, the house church in, in China. That they they will know that actually it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is going to outlive and outlast the uh, communist party, the CCP, which was uh, you know sprouted up yesterday and is going to be gone tomorrow. And it is actually the reign of the, the gracious Lord Jesus, which is going to to extend and grow throughout all the earth and His rain will extend from generation to generation and so great encouragement for the people of god here and then it the ends section four it's just this call for wisdom call for wisdom and this invitation so verse 10 now therefore o kings be wise be warned o rulers of the earth serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and he perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed, happy are all who take refuge in him. The psalm ends with this call, this gracious summons, this gracious invitation. The kings of the earth who had opposed the Lord and fought against him are actually invited to 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 bow down and serve him, and to receive clemency, to receive uh, mercy and grace. It's extraordinary, really, isn't it? When you when you think of it, when you think of you know what was, what was the worst thing that could happen to you in the ancient world? Well, one of the one of the terrible things was if, if your if your brother became the emperor or the king, because the king immediately starts and the first thing he does is gets into king, You start bumping off all your rivals, don't you? You start eliminating all, all the rivals. You have that bit with you know, David speaking to Solomon when Solomon's establishing the kingdom and David's giving him a sort of a hit list of various people who he needs to to eliminate. Um, well what do we see with, with the enthronement of the Lord Jesus? On the day of Pentecost, Je- Jesus is risen, he's enthroned, he's pouring out the spirit, and the call of the gospel goes out, and it's it goes out and, and, and the the, the, the people of the nation are struck to the heart because they've had, had this great hand in the, the crucifixion of, of the Messiah. And they say, hey, brothers, what, what shall we do? They're fearful of the, um, of, of, of the Messiah. And Peter says, well, repent and believe the gospel and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord Jesus stands in love and forgiveness to bring clemency and grace to to those who have fought against him. Jesus who taught, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. That is what he he does. He stands in heaven, he offers his clemency. It is this gracious invitation, serve the Lord with fear, kiss the son, and that is not a a kiss of affection. This is a a kiss of of fealty and loyalty to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is um, an invitation. Um, it is also it is also an ultimatum, though, isn't it? Um, it is um, submit to the Son, or else um, he is the King of, of the whole Earth. Ultimately, opposition will not, uh, in the end, uh, succeed. So there is this this invitation, a gracious invitation. But um, if if kings of the Earth and rulers and nations continue to oppose Christ, will ultimately be uh, overthrown but it ends on this just noted blessed blessed are those who take refuge in him well what why is that well we see just the character of god's king throughout the gospels we see who is it who reigns on high it is not some tyrant it is the one who is in all authority and power but it's a king who reigns in grace and love and kindness the king who came to stoop and to wash our feet and to serve us. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In his service is perfect freedom. As we come to him and and trust in the Lord, we find that he is so kind and gracious and kind and merciful to us. And so the the, the gospel, it's this invitation um, and an ultimation. It is essentially to come quietly with your hands up, um, but it is just this, this blessing and promise of blessing um, that God uh, brings to us. Well, that is that is psalm too, this remarkable psalm, this important psalm for the theology of the New Testament and the preaching of the apostles. Well, what, what does that mean for us, though, in modern Britain, in modern multicultural Britain with lots of people in uh, our nation who come from various religious cultural backgrounds. We have a a Hindu prime minister, uh, a Muslim first minister in Scotland. We have a a king who who sometimes seems to lean in a a sort of polytheistic direction, saying there's sort of light in every religion. Sometimes sounds more more sort of mainline orthodox.
1: Um,
0: But what difference does that make um, that we're in a sort of secular, uh, some say post- Christian society, when um, many of our our rulers and leaders and parliament have have very much abandoned the Christian faith and abandoned uh, the laws and and English common law which was based on on scripture. Um, Well many would sort of see these words as rather, Psalm 2 and coronation of the King and the Lord Jesus, as rather antiquated and, and outdated. So, what difference does it make um, that we live in modern Britain? Well, in, in an important sense, it makes absolutely no difference at all because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is not outdated. We don't live in a post Christian nation in that sense. We live in a post resurrection nation. He's risen from the dead. It is Jesus Christ who rules and who has the, the future <laughs> in his hands. It is secular humanism, which will be the the power that is going to be passing away if it continues to resist Christ. So what difference does it make? Well, absolutely none at all. Christ is on the throne. And all through history, we see that there have been kings, sometimes kings who have acknowledged him. um, like Constantine or or something something like that. Um, There have been kings who have acknowledged him and and then rather done their own thing. and there have been kings that have, have rejected his rule. You think of some of the Roman empires, Caligula or, or someone like that, or, or kings who just outright, or sort of like Stalin or someone like that, who um, just utterly reject uh, the rule of God and his Messiah. Well, the Lord is still, nevertheless, in the midst of all opposition, working out his purpose. Christ is still on the throne. And this is still the, the basic confession of the church in the midst of a... Um, polytheistic culture with many gods many laws it's that Jesus Christ is on the throne and we still have this call to wisdom and so the, the church stands and, and in our in our singing and in, in our psalm we stand as a witness don't we to the powers we stand as a, a warning to the, to the powers that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and, and a call really to the kings of the earth to be wise. And we, need, we certainly need wisdom to think about these things. Um, it's tempted, tempting, I think, even for, for Christians in, a, in our own age, in modern Britain, to sort of want to accommodate to a more of a polytheistic, a pluralistic society, in the sense of you know, we, we have all these different religious groupings and we all need to, to learn to, to get along, and, and we do. Um, but it, it's tempting to to do that in, in in and sort of reduce the lordship of Christ to just one. You know, we have lots of different lords. Um, I don't know if you've seen that there's a, there's a poster you sometimes see sort of sprayed onto walls um, with all the different religious sy- uh, sort of symbols. You have the um, you know the cross and, and the crescent and all the different symbols, and in the middle it just says coexist. I don't know if you've seen seen that one. Um, and that sort of polytheistic view. Well, we need to be wise when it comes to that kind of polytheism because that's what you've got in the ancient world. You have a pantheon of gods. You have all the all the gods. Um, but the sleight of hand when it comes to polytheism is that who is actually in the place of uh, authority over all, all the gods? Well, it is it is the state. It is the state. So Rome had its pantheon of gods, didn't it? You have all the, all the different gods. And they'd be happy to add Jesus in as one of the one of the gods in the pantheon of gods. But who was at the apex of all the gods? Well, Caesar. Caesar was divinized, and Caesar was lord. That was the basic confession in the early Roman, in the empire. You had to take your pinch of incense and do do obeisance to to Caesar as lord. And so the gospel just cuts through all of that. says, no, Jesus Christ is lord. Jesus is... King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, render taxes to Caesar, pay obedience to Caesar. But the confession of the church is that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it's not polytheistic um, in that sense, is it? And so um, we need to continue just to confess our Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings, as Lord of lords. And um, we do need to obey the civil authorities and be good citizens, as the scripture teaches us. We need to obey the the laws of the civil authorities so far as their decrees are lawful, uh, but resist their decrees and laws where they are unlawful. So obedience to Christ means resistance to tyranny, doesn't it? And so we need, but yet we are called to be uh, obedient to the established authorities knowing that every authority has been established by uh, by God. And so this is much to say and unpick on these, these sorts of themes. Uh, but the psalm really is of, of great encouragement, of great comfort, that the Lord is working out his plans, that the Lord Jesus Christ reigns, that he is on the throne. Uh, and it is an invitation for us to seek a uh, blessing uh, in him so let us turn now and pray to our sovereign you've been listening to the sermon podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church you can find us out online at gloucesterprez.co.uk